1: Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's (laughs) old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello and welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Today, Lizzie and I are going to be answering some classic etiquette questions. We have... Uh, A particular issue about wedding invitations in the workplace. We're going to look at playlists, Bluetooth playlists for your next party. And we're also going to revisit the question of re-gifting, which does seem to be an an eternally evergreen etiquette topic. I'm especially excited about an etiquette salute today that has to do with extended families and meeting cousin-in-laws.
2: That's all coming up.
1: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Dan Post Senning.
2: And I'm Lizzie Post, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. Hey man. <laughs>
1: Take us away. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I feel like there's there's a couple things. Um, but mainly what I really wanted to talk about was I had kind of an interesting scenario happen um, on Saturday night and I I know. And I don't know how I feel about it. I kind of want audience participation on this. I want your thoughts on it. So my buddy Justin Panagouti and I, we go out uh, to to just go out for the night together, you know? Like, go grab some drinks, hear some music, have some fun. Life is good. I hadn't eaten, and it was 10 o'clock. And in, in Burlington, most restaurants are wrapping up then, but there are a few places. Um, there's this great taco place that's open late, so we went there. Grabbed a beer, a glass of wine, like, ordered some tacos. Life is good. And the waitress comes over. She's so sweet. She's so great. You know, I love the service there. And she reaches over me to grab something. And as she's pulling her hand back, she knocks my glass of wine over. And it doesn't just spill on the table. This thing, like, leapt off the table and took a, a dive into my lap. And I was just absolutely coated in wine thank goodness it was it was just prosecco so it was
1: white it wasn't staining i'm picturing a a slow motion movie scene with the wine glass yeah exactly traveling through the air while the fluid comes out and manages to apply itself to you completely
2: completely it's all over my my lap it's not fun and i was kind of in a state of shock i was just like oh my gosh that really just happened like that wasn't just like a little dribble you know like off the table that was like full on coated and I go to the restroom, and they don't have, like, the hand dryers or anything, so, you know, I'm doing my best. And she gave me, like, a towel, to I, and she feels so bad, our, our server, and and we're laughing. But I'm starting to think about it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm supposed to drive home tonight, and now I reek of alcohol. It's 20 degrees outside, and I am soaked, like, not just, like, lightly this will dry in half an hour,
1: like— Accidents will, Accidents will happen. Mistakes will be happen. made. How you handle them. Yeah.
2: So I'm starting to think about how uncomfortable I am and just – and nervous about driving home. I'm like, oh, should should Justin drive, you know, and drop me off and I leave my car downtown? Do I have to take a cab, in which case I'm paying 20 bucks for a mistake someone else made? And, you know, life happens. That's just the way it goes. She did bring me another glass of Prosecco, and that was great. And, you know, she actually comped both glasses on the tab. And the interesting thing when I tell this story is that most people say she didn't comp the food too. And I said, no, she didn't. And I've really been interested by the reactions from friends and family as I've told them about this, that for that level of a spill and inconvenience, they thought the whole meal should have been taken care of. And I'm curious, what do you think? Because I kind of come down always in between. I'm like, I could see it going either way. I
1: feel like the restaurant would do a little bit of something for you. And if if there wasn't a bigger bar tab than that, if it wasn't just the spilled glass, I would have— I would have thought that the restaurant would make some sort of effort above and beyond. Oh, like
2: because I hadn't ordered like four margaritas that night. Exactly. It was like a small, yeah.
1: Exactly, particularly with just a a small meal too, where it's not necessarily the whole table, it's not a huge bill, it's not a huge tab. Yeah. I I would think that they would want you to walk out the door. Now they might not have fully comprehended just what a what a mess it had been. That's the that's the side of me that's always thinking about the other side of the equation. Maybe they didn't really realize.
2: About like when I go home, I, you know, if anything were to happen, I now smell like alcohol and I really did. And then B, like, you know, it's 20 degrees outside and I'm walking around with soaking wet pants. Just
1: what it does to the rest of your night. Yeah. Can you go to the place that you were planning to go next? Are you comfortable even walking around? How soaked are you?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I was pretty soaked. So I just, I thought that was kind of interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Tell us what you think. If you've had similar situations, how did restaurants handle it? Well, and here's my other thought is
1: that you handled it too well.
2: Oh, shut up.
1: Managed to minimize the situation (laughs) enough, managed to deal with it enough that it didn't even fully register for the restaurant itself that you you, you were able to minimize the event of the mistake to to the point where i
2: need an angry face or something like that
1: a a disappointed face uh uh uh, although you know (laughs) that's gonna make other people feel bad i think you did just fine
2: okay all right good well we're curious to hear what you think but now that i've asked my question should we get to some listener questions (laughs)
1: let's do it okay Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim.
3: My advice?
1: Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Or you could use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette and reach us on Twitter like Miguel did. He had a question about wedding invites for coworkers. Miguel asks, how to invite some coworkers to my wedding but not others, especially when they know about the wedding? Thanks.
2: I love this question because I think it shows consideration right off the bat. Yep. You don't want people to feel left out. You know, it is a big event. You see these people sometimes more than your friends and pe- other people who are invited to this big event. It's, Absolutely. It's a great thing to be concerned about. My first advice is going to be that you want to try not to talk about the wedding at work very much, that it's certainly fine to share. And when people ask, it's fine to share. But don't be talking about all the cool things you're planning for the wedding or how you feel about it, that sort of thing, because it does sort of involve people more. And then it will feel awkward if they're not there. So try to tone down wedding talk at work. Most people truthfully aren't assuming that they'll be invited. I think when it comes to work relationships, even really close Ones. I did not assume I was going to be invited to Dan's wedding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really, I did assume. Um, but no, you know, when, when you don't work with your relatives, uh, most people don't assume you're going to be
1: invited to a it's wedding. It's a really good reminder. We tell people all the time, don't take it personally. Right. Wedding invitations and, and wedding guest lists are such tricky and difficult things to manage.
2: And, and going back, I really truly believe that when it comes to your coworkers, they are not as often expecting wedding invitations. It's not like your best friend. It's not like your cousin that you grew up with. It's very different. Um, So most of the time, people don't assume they'll be invited. You really do want to make sure that you mail the invitations rather than hand distribute them at work. Um, Sometimes when it comes to uh, people that you see on a regular basis, it's really easy to just hand deliver that invitation rather than putting it in the mail. You know, hey, save a couple pennies, right? But um, it's really best not to do that. You want this to be a social, engagement. It is a social engagement, so it should come to their home where they socialize, not at work. Finally, I would also suggest that you ask those who are invited not to discuss the wedding at work. And it's important to make it clear to them that you don't have to tell them all the people who were invited from work um, because it's really none of their business. But I also think that it's important just to let them know, hey, I'm not inviting everybody from work, so I just ask that you not really talk about the wedding very much at work. And again, you know, like Dan said, people need to not take this so personally. And I wouldn't just walk around assuming that they will. It's not the case typically. I mean, I know even with my close friends, I don't assume that I'm going to be invited because they might want that small intimate wedding or – You know, you just never know what relationship someone has developed with other people. So you just don't assume that yours is on the same level. And congratulations!
1: Super congratulations, Miguel.
2: (laughs) Best of luck, Miguel. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. Our next question has to do with gift-giving, and it's titled, Not All Sharing Feels Nice. Dear Lizzie and Dan, my question is about my mother giving away my gifts for her to other people. I wasn't sure if this was something I should try to understand from her point of view and leave it alone or have a conversation with her about it. I select my gifts for my mother with care, specific to her needs and hobbies, But I've found out in several occasions that she has given away the items to her friends whom she thought would benefit from these items as much as she did. Her response is that once received, the items belong to her and she can decide to keep it or give it away. If she really needed the item again, then I could buy her another one. Oof. I would much rather have seen her enjoy and benefit from these items. But what is the expectation regarding the use and ownership of gifted items? I hate to say that now when I consider a gift for my mother, in the back of my mind, I'm wondering if she will give the item away. Please advise. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I've been most impressed by your ability to separate the issue from the big picture. Thank
1: you, gifts. Well, gifts, thank you for your question. This.
2: Sounds pretty rotten to me. Imagine you give someone a gift and find out they gave it away. The only thing I can't figure out from the reading of the question is whether mom has used these gifts and enjoyed them and then gives them away, which I would condone. I would say that's okay. Mm -hmm. But if she's just straight up giving them. Like, here, Mom, new paint set. Oh, great. Here, Betsy, new paint set. Oh, great. Like, then I've got issue with it. What do you think? So
1: I think there's some legitimate hurt here. And I think that pain, that very real pain, is a good place to just jump back and take a look at the really, really big picture. Because it is someone's right. They've received it. It's theirs. They get to decide what they want to do with it now. And in a culture where a lot of people are dealing with a lot of stuff, the way to best handle that stuff is, is maybe something that's legitimately changed over time. We came down on the side that you got to be so careful that generally speaking, we don't think re-gifting is a good idea precisely because of the kind of feeling that you're talking about here. And I just want to affirm that that feeling is real and you're not alone in it, that a lot of people feel that way. It it somehow seems to minimize the gift, the impact of the gift. It feels like someone didn't really receive it and care about the thought that you put into it.
2: And it, it minimizes your generosity. And you always have that wonderful phrase, generosity of spirit, spirit of generosity, both of them. And I think it gets at that and it takes the best part of gift giving and squashes it.
1: So your question is a great reminder that it's important to really receive gifts well. And I think that it's really important how you talk to your mom about this. It sounds like you've mentioned it before. I think that you feel strongly enough about it that it would probably be okay if you brought it up again. And this is where I I like to think about my cousin Lizzie when I think about how to approach these issues and how to bring them up. Because she, she approaches it with a tone, I think, that's oftentimes <laughs> appropriate to the level of the offense. And I think the success with which you have that conversation is going to depend on – Um, The degree to which you can take responsibility for your feelings, you can talk about how it makes you feel. You're not challenging her right to do this. You're just talking to her about how it makes you feel when she does.
2: When you, I feel.
1: The power of the when you, I feel statement, or even if you don't structure the statement exactly like that, if you're thinking about that framework in your mind, I think it can really help with this kind of a conversation. Having said all that, I think it's also okay to adjust your behavior a little bit. If your mom really feels strongly that that's her prerogative and that she's going to continue to do this, if it makes you feel that way, I think that you can... Change how you gift give? Change how you do your gift giving and not from a spiteful place and not from a vindictive or a vengeful place, but just from a being realistic with yourself you can say, you know, this isn't a big priority of my mom. She, she's not as interested or invested in in receiving gifts from me, in the gifts, in the tangible stuff. So so I'm going to focus on, on other ways to really connect with her and show her how much I care.
2: Right. To let those other ways be the building relationship. And when it comes to things like, let's just assume they celebrate Christmas and birthdays and things like that, that those are the days where you'll do something for her, because that's kind of tradition in our culture to do something. But you won't put a lot of weight on making those things incredibly special or meaningful. Instead, make the moments you share with her, the things you go do, the meaningful, special part of your relationship.
1: Lizzie, you're always good with sample language for this kind (laughs) of discussion. I'm curious, how might you handle bringing something like this up with your mother?
2: I think, well, just like you were talking about the when you, I feel type statements, I would keep it structured to that. The other thing that I have learned is compartmentalizing You don't have to show all your emotion when you talk about something emotional. And so I think that could benefit in this situation. And you could even tell your mom, hey, mom, this is something that that's really important to me. But I'm going to try not to get emotional about it when I talk to you about it. I like that. I understand that once I give you a gift, it's yours. That's really true. I do. I give it to you for you to do what you want with it. But I will tell you that it hurts my feelings that you give the gifts away before you enjoy them because I intended them for you to enjoy. And I would love that. And, I think for me, one of the things that struck me as hurtful when gifts wrote into us was that her mother made the comment of, well, if I want it again, you'll just buy it for me. It took the niceness of gift giving and gift receiving out of it entirely for me. And I think that that's something important. And I might say, Mom, you know, it kind of hurts my feelings that you'd give away a gift I bought. For you and just assume that if you want it again, you'll just ask me for it again and I'll buy it again. That just – it didn't resonate with how you had raised me to be a good gift giver and receiver. That might be one. That's a little bit of mm-hmm. a knife in the – like a little
1: bit of a twisting the knife at the end there. But I think, you know, maybe it's a little deserved. Well, there you go, gifts. Um, I really hope that helps. And take heart. I think that big picture, it sounds like both you and your mother share a really nice relationship, one where you're looking for the best ways to show each other how much you care. As many of you know, Lizzie Post has fun with the way she titles our questions for the show. And I'm going to have a little bit of fun untangling this next one. It's titled, She Switched Schedules by the Seashore. You got it. Hi Lizzie and Daniel. I'm new to the world of work, so I'm not sure how to handle many situations. My manager at work has said that she is not switching shifts with anyone short of life or death situations. Employees are still free to switch if they choose, but she won't. Recently, I asked a coworker to switch shifts with me so I could attend a military ball with my significant other. As it was happening, my manager kept on stating that she wouldn't be switching with anyone. Later that evening, she sent out a text message asking anyone to switch a couple of particular shifts. I was the only one whose shifts fit the parameters. I did not switch as she had stated that she wouldn't do it for me. Now I'm beginning to question my choices. Should I have switched? <laughs> Sincerely, Shambolic Switching.
2: I love this question because it so gets at your your own inner compass, you know, uh-huh. your own own inner goodness. How how good are you going to be? And like the golden rule is do unto others, but boy, that's going to really backfire in this situation, you know. I think it's, it's totally up to shambolic switching what he or she wants to do. You get to draw and set boundaries in your life. And if you feel comfortable knowing that she wouldn't do it for you, but you're not that type of person and are happy to help, then go right ahead and make the switch. But if you'd rather have the attitude of, I don't have to help you because you're never willing to help me or anyone else, you get to decide how much you're going to engage. And in some ways, this might be karma, karma coming or dharma coming back to bite your manager in the butt. But it also might be your chance to do some good and hopefully receive some on the end. I think that it's completely up to you. That you need to figure out how you're going to feel good. Maybe you take one of the shifts, but not the other. Maybe you say, "Hey, I can't this time, but next time, you know, I, I'd love to help out." Maybe that's how you make it feel right in your head. I think from the sound of it, you felt a little like you didn't do right by yourself by saying you wouldn't switch those shifts. But again, you're the only person who's going to be able to judge that. And from an etiquette standpoint, she's asking, and you can behave any way around that in your schedule that you want to. It's okay for you to protect it. It's okay for you to be flexible with it.
1: Your manager has clearly set the standard that no one is expected to switch. She doesn't expect herself to switch. You can work it out among yourselves, but she's not going to have anything to do with it. That is your manager really setting a a very firm policy for the workplace that she's not going to manage this and not going to have a lot of expectations about people around it. Yeah. Having said all that, you definitely need a switch and – um, it sounds like someone's going to come through for you, so that you can make it to the ball. Probably not the manager, but a coworker. Yeah, not the manager. Um, <laughs> but that being the case, I love the idea of paying it forward.
2: Not even so innocently. Like you could just do it to great favor from your manager and just be like, "Oh, if I do, I have an opportunity here to do something that's going to make her really grateful for me." I would, I would look at it as that kind of a way too. That like, why not? If I can, sure, I'll be the bigger person because you're going to owe me one. However. You can't guarantee that manager is going to think she owes you one.
1: You can't. Although there was another little detail I noticed in this question. Here. I feel like there was a test here.
2: You think so? That
1: maybe the manager oh, saw the, the, the switch happened and then put out uh, a request for a switch that was only, that only you would have been the, the viable bah! person for.
2: Conspiracy which, theorist, <laughs> you. I'm just saying
1: people have, have complicated motivations. They I'll put do. it that no, way. They and, do.
2: I agree. That, if, if
1: i could start to sense it just through the way this question was asked i think far. that it might have been out there <laughs> and and you might want to say to yourself as ridiculous as that is i'm gonna pass this test <laughs> like i'm gonna show this manager shambolic switching thank you for a question that used the word shifts and switching um routinely twice three four times in a sentence to challenge <laughs> our reading skills as well as our thinking about good etiquette but
3: there's more what's that
1: More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor.
0: Here, let's try another
2: trick. Our next question is one that we asked you to help us out with on uh, Facebook and Twitter this week, which was a lot of fun to hear your responses, and it's titled, Bluetooth Blues. Hey, guys, I love your advice since the dinner party download days. Thanks for doing what you do. I often host informal parties, or maybe even semi-formal parties. Costumes count as semi-formal, right? Yes, they do. I spend a lot of time crafting playlists for my parties, as do most people, I think. Thank you, DPD. Again, DPD is for Dinner Party Download, where they do have a weekly playlist. It's an awesome show. Dan and I are on it about once a month. It's where we got our start. It is why this podcast is happening. And you can find it on your favorite podcast app or download it from iTunes. My question is about the use of a Bluetooth speaker or other home audio device. I often find that once a party gets going, guests sometimes want to hear a certain song or artist. I'm usually happy to accommodate, but I find that once requests start being taken, it becomes a free-for-all or the person who connects to the Bluetooth device ends up DJing all night. Is there a polite way to refuse music requests? As I said, I often craft a playlist to fit the mood I hope to set for the party. I'm not opposed to playing a song or two that my guests really want to hear. But how do I keep my music on point without offending guests that have requests? Thank you, Dustin.
1: Dustin, I say this is one of those places where you get to enjoy your host's prerogative. If you've worked really hard to set up a playlist, you can always tell that to someone. You can say, you know, I spent all afternoon on this playlist, or I was really looking forward to this playlist for this party.
2: Doesn't that- Make you sound like namby pamby, like precious, like so not flexible. I'm challenging you on this, and a I'm making bit. ugly faces no, in the
1: studio and, I know, too. and it's a fair thing because Nene, yeah, Nene, you don't want to be that yeah. host either. You don't want to be yeah. ungracious or ungenerous. Yeah. Um, offer to add the song to the end of the playlist.
2: There you. I like that one.
1: Offer to uh, bring it up or insert it later on after dinner's over or after cocktails are over. So you acknowledge the request. You try to accommodate it in some way. But I was making the analogy in my head: what if someone made a suggestion of something to add to the meal? Right. You had. What or would prepared. you
2: do? I wouldn't. I'd be like, thanks. I think the recipe's good. Go sit down. Unless there's no. a dietary restriction. <laughs>
1: and then I was thinking about the real etiquette of the situation. I think once you've kind of exercised your host's prerogative and politely declined, I think it would be rude for a guest to be persistent and to continue to push for I think that. Think so too.
2: Well, since Dustin had heard about us through DPD, and DPD, Dinner Party Download, does do all these great playlists each week, we thought it would be really cool to have Rico Galliano and Brendan Francis Newham, the esteemed hosts of the Dinner Party Download, whom we love so much, answer this question.
4: Hey, Dustin. This is Brendan from the Dinner Party Download. And this is Rico, and that's a, it's a great question and one that we've actually uh, attacked in a book that we are writing about dinner parties and how to throw them. But first of all, you are exactly right. The turning over of control of the DJ position is not something that you should do, uh, or if you do, you should just assign one person to do it. You want one person in control of music it, yeah. it, because of exactly the problem that you're talking about. If you give one person, it's always one song. They always say they're just gonna play one song, it's never one song, it's so yeah. always several songs, and they're playing them because they like them, not because anybody else likes them or because it fits the vibe of the party or whatever. You know what your party is about. Yeah, You should have control. Phones are dinner party destroyers. In they're general. Like
0: little, they're like little grenades that can destroy a dinner party when people check their texts and when people go into them to find music, to play their music. So I hear what you're saying, that there may be a, there may be a moment where someone is making a point or is like, oh, I really love this song I heard and uh, when I was traveling in Costa Rica. So maybe one song, you can do it. You can let them play the song or you can control it with your device, but you don't hand over... Yeah, don't don't hand over the controls. Not okay. Yes. You can lie and you can say, "Oh, my phone's not Bluetooth doesn't work. Sorry."
4: Because that's the second part of the of the question obviously is how do you keep somebody from taking over the DJ position oh, if they lie. ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's the <laughs> this is our this is often our advice is that yeah. you, you pull a lie. No, it <laughs> only
0: works with my phone. Sorry.
4: Exactly. Uh, that's one thing to do. The other thing you could say is, uh, "Oh, I don't know how." Claim ignorance. It took me forever to set the thing up so that it recognizes my phone. Please don't don't mess with it because it might just turn off and we'll never be able to stream any music again. Uh, that's a good lie. Any other lies, Brendan?
0: Uh, I was actually just looking at my phone to see if I could play an annoying song just to illustrate <laughs> how how annoying it would be if everyone had full control to. Yeah. It- Oh, that sounds like a lush 80s track. You know what? We have a correction. If Rico or I are at your dinner party, you can yeah. let us take control.
4: How's that? Yeah. We just. Uh, I hope you don't mind posts that we just uh, music bombed your party.
0: All right. Thanks, Dustin, for listening. Thanks, Post, for bearing
1: with us. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for chipping in and supporting my position that you're the host and you have host prerogative and that you can politely decline when someone asks if they can jump in and take over your playlist.
2: I feel like we taught them so well. (laughs) We did. Boys, we've told you, you don't lie. You don't lie. You just simply say
1: no. And maybe there's a benevolent truth, a kind truth. You know, it's well, more than I want to get into right now. I'd rather not hook up and unhook oh, up phones all night. Oh, let's just let the playlist running. Yeah,
2: it's all in in how you casually say it. We think, but can I just say, can we coin the phrase like it's a dinner table grenade? Okay, that, your that, that cell was phone the best is part of that answer. That's like the best part cell of that answer. Cell phones
1: are grenades that destroy dinner parties.
2: What we love is that most of you, our audience, agreed with Brendan and Rico.
1: Amanda said. Putting aside for a moment my horror that a guest would ask to change up a hostess playlist at all. I love I w- <laughs>
2: that. I love that.
1: <laughs> I would politely decline such request as the hostess herself noted the problem she encounters with the practice. I would thank the guest for the compliment on the music and invite them to continue enjoying the party saying something along the lines of, if you like this song, you'll really enjoy some of my other selections. Nice. Kay from Seattle jumped in and said, if they want their playlist, they can have it at their party. Simple.
2: Uh, Corey from St. Paul called and left a message for us.
1: If you really want the integrity of your playlist to stand, um, you just smile and say, no, I think I've got it. I appreciate it, but no, thank you. Or you smile and you say, thank you for the suggestion, I appreciate it, I'll see what I can do. And in your heart, you know that you're not going to play it or that it's already in the list and it will come up naturally. And a few of you had some other ideas as well. LaDonna suggested when inviting a guest, allow them to make one song request on their RSVP. Randomly mix these songs into your playlist.
2: Our buddy Chris from Burlington was telling us that there are all kinds of ways that you can make this work for you by actually inviting your guests to participate, if that's something that you want to do, whether it's through iTunes and Apple TV or Google and Chromecast, there are lots of great ways for you to invite your guests to participate. That way, it's something that's still coming from you as the host. Chris finishes up by saying that that said, if I was approached with this issue, I would simply tell my guests that tonight's music is on a set playlist. If I start to take requests, I'll spend more time on my smartphone queuing up songs than enjoying the party. I really like I like that concept to end this question with.
1: It's really honest. It makes sense. And it's party appropriate.
2: So, Dan, can we play the bangles now?
1: Um, You know, Lizzie, I worked really hard on the podcast plan for today, and that's not on it. So (laughs) can we add that to next week's show? Absolutely. To make a good impression, you must know
3: what to do.
2: Thank you so much for your questions and your comments. We love your comments and your thoughts and your updates. So please feel free to call in and leave us a new question or a comment or an update. You can leave us a message at 802-866-0860. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And don't forget on social media to please use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette.
1: So now we're to that part of the show that we call the postscript where we like to dive a little bit deeper into an etiquette topic.
2: This week, we've decided to give you another reading from one of our favorite Emily books. By Motor to the Golden Gate was a serial that she had written about her actual cross-country road trip that she took. In
1: 1914. In
2: 1914. It's a really fun book. It's full of adventure, and it shows Emily's cheekier side, too, which is a lot of fun. Our reading today comes from page 111. And it is, it's about speed, actually. And I think this shows a little bit of our great great grandma's character. The very sound Nebraska correlates dragged road speed. Just so you know, she used a lot of exclamation points in her writing. While you are still gently running through the picturesque Sir Joshua Reynolds scenery of the river-to-river road in Iowa, you find that your mind is developing an anticipatory speed craze. So thoroughly imbued has your mind become with the fast road idea that the very ground has a speed gift in its dragged surface— What if your engine is barely capable of 40 miles an hour? That miraculously fast stretch magically carries you at the easiest 50. If you have a big, powerful engine, you forget that ordinarily you dislike whizzing across the surface of the Earth. And for just this once... Even though you think of it more in terror than in joy, you are approaching the raceway of America, and you, too, are going to race. We must be sure that everything is in perfect running order, you exclaim excitedly, as you picture your car leaping out of Omaha and shooting to Denver while scarcely turning over its engine. Not many stopping places, you are told. What matter is that to you? You're not thinking of stopping at all. North plate, perhaps, yes, 330 miles in a day is just a nice little fast road run. A nice little witch, says the head of a garage in Omaha. We'll leave early, you continue unheeding, and make a dash across the continental speedway. See here, stranger, says the garage man. What state of fast circuits do you think you're in? This is Nebraska, and the speed limit is 20 miles. 20 miles a minute, you gasp? That certainly is speed, the garage man half-edges away from you. From here to Denver is about 35 hours straight traveling. You gotta slow down to 8 miles through towns, and you can't go over 20 miles an hour nowheres. When you manage to get a little breath into your collapsed lungs, you say dazedly, But we're going over the fast-dragged road. Road's fast enough, but the law'll have you if you drive it faster than 20 miles an hour. If you can find the joke in all of this, you have a more humorous mental equipment and a sweeter disposition than we had. Across Nebraska, from the last good hotel in Omaha to the first comfortable one in Denver or Cheyenne is over 500 miles. At the prescribed speed of about 17 miles an hour average, it means literally a pleasant little run of between 30 and 40 hours along a road dead level wide straight. And where often, as far as the eye can see, there is not even a shack in the dimmest distance and the only settlers to be seen are prairie dogs. If between Omaha and Cheyenne there were three or four attractive, clean little places to stop, or if the Nebraska speed laws were abolished or disregarded and it didn't rain, you could motor to the heart of the Rocky Mountains with the utmost ease and comfort.
1: Oh, great great-grandmama. She could turn a phrase, but I'll tell you what really jumps out at me is her attitude about rules. I
2: know! <laughs> and that they were made to be broken. That but they're made to be broken. But she stays within them, too.
1: We, we often talk about you got to know the rules to know when yeah. and how and where to break them. I and love, this is a good example of such thinking.
2: I love that she could embrace the thrill of traveling yeah. these Nebraska roads, which if you've ever driven through Nebraska, it is, it is large and flat and you do just just kind of want to bomb through it. Like,
1: it's fun. I'll leave today's postcard with a little vacation reminiscing. Yeah, go Um, for it. Oftentimes when you visited a a, a palace in Rajasthan, there would be a garage associated with it that would have antique automobiles, some original Rolls Royces and original Mercedes from this era. And as I was looking at these cars with my mother not too long ago, she would sort of indicate to me picture that car with a slightly different front, and that was the touring car that Emily was taking across the so country cool. in 1914. I'll say it again. So unbelievable. What an indomitable spirit that woman had.
0: Twenty long miles from town
4: My old car broke down The clutch is shot And the sun is so hot Oh, what I'd give to be home 1915
2: Every week on Awesome Etiquette, we think it's important to celebrate when people experience good behavior in the world. And this week, we have a salute from Stephanie.
1: Stephanie is newly married as of three years ago and is still getting to know her in-laws. She has a salute for Andrew, whom she met this past Christmas.
3: Hey, this is Stephanie. I'm calling from North Carolina. And I wanted to give a salute to my husband's cousin's husband. (laughs) My husband's cousin is from England, and she lives there right now with her husband. and um, they flew over this past Christmas to visit us and that was my first time to actually meet them. I am a little bit of an introvert, so I was you know kind of nervous to meet some more family. He's well traveled and he's lived all over the world and and he still travels today. like he has a lot of stories, but yet he chose to not share them all, but actually listen. Like, I'm a nerd and (laughs) I like video games and sci-fi. And he was like, oh, that's cool. So, like, what's your favorite sci-fi movie? And so I would talk about that. And then he was like, oh, do you like the sci-fi movie? And I was like, yeah, I do. And so, like, he would just ask these meaningful questions, even though he wasn't into sci-fi or video games. But, like, he really made a point to really listen to what other people had to say and ask questions to make them feel really valuable, which was so cool to me. He was just a great conversationalist, and that, like, really inspired me. It made me want to become a better conversationalist myself and stop always interjecting my opinion into things, but actually, like, ask questions and listen to what other people have to say. I hope he can come back to more Christmases because I really enjoyed having him there. A new friendship had formed, it felt like, and... I wanted to just say thank you to Andrew um, for just making our, our day feel so special and calm and relaxing and just really comfortable and making everyone feel like they really belong there. And thank you, Lizzie and Dan, for taking my call and for letting me give my special etiquette salute. Oh,
1: thank you, Stephanie, so much. That's one of the best salutes we've had in a long time. I like it on a, on a couple of levels. The first part of me is reacting in a very personal way, um, having just traveled with my wife and my parents. So we essentially took a, a trip where we were out meeting cousins and cousin-in-laws. And there's not even a appropriate term for it, the whole idea of a cousin-in-law or a, those extended family, extended families. And it really is special when you're when you have an opportunity to meet those people and those interactions and those encounters go well. Also, thank you for mentioning the particular way that Andrew made you feel so good. Talking about what a good listener he was and I think it's a really important point. I think that so oftentimes we think about good conversation skill as knowing what to say and and so often it's knowing what not to say and and even beyond that, it's knowing how to be a really good listener and how to make someone else feel heard. So congratulations, Andrew, on on making you feel so good and thank you for sharing that with all of us. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness.
2: That's our show for today. Thank you so much for spending some of your week with us. And remember, there is no show without you. So please send us your etiquette questions, your comments, and your suggestions. And, of course, your etiquette salutes.
1: If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and, of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review.
2: On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute.
1: On Twitter, I'm
2: at Lizzie A. Post.
1: And I'm at Daniel underscore post.
2: Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com.
1: Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the amazing Hans Buto.